Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Love Ministries podcast. Oh, my gosh. Well, I hope you had a great day yesterday. Pete and I were laughing after the last one. The needles were spiking all over the place. I got a little fired up. Yes, I actually did all that right here in the studio. Without an audience, I got that fired up. I just really hope that yesterday, in the midst of celebrating the first coming, that you had some time to think about how amazing it's going to be when we have the second coming and that we have this deposit, this gift, actually. I didn't even say that last time. Remember, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit that He's placed in us, guaranteeing that that's going to happen. No word from God will ever fail. Well, in preparing these, ordinarily the Advent talks are over, that the final and fifth one, as I mentioned last time, is the Jesus candle, which is the center candle, and usually is either talked about on Christmas Eve or on Christmas Day, depending on your tradition. So as I was thinking and praying about and preparing these messages, I had a really incredible moment on the Monday before Christmas a week ago. As I was looking over all the material, I suddenly had this idea that I wonder if we should have actually had six candles. Because there's a part of the birth narrative that almost never gets talked about. And yet, as I was pondering it and praying about it and just reading and hanging out with the Lord, it, it seems like we really should have a sixth candle. And I'm not sure exactly what to title it, but for today, I'm going to entitle it The Mission Candle. And particularly with the idea of why we wait, because... Now we, too, are still in this waiting season, this longing for Jesus' return the second time to accomplish everything that I got so fired up about last week. So this will be fun because I've never talked about this before in this particular vein. Bear with me as I just kind of put this out there for the first time. But remember when somewhere along the line over this month as you've been going through the Advent season and the Christmas story, Remember there's this moment in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, where after the shepherds had come and the magi have come, and it says, Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I couldn't help but wondering what she was thinking and imagining, hearing these amazing words by angels and by the shepherds, and then the magi come, and he's the king, the king of the Jews, and they bow down and worship and give him gifts, and just all of it that she's filled with and wondering and pondering, and I'm imagining that she's just thinking, this is amazing. But then it hit me. Remember I mentioned to you somewhere, it was last time or two times ago, where they take Jesus up to the temple to be circumcised and to offer him to the Lord, as was the custom and the tradition. And Joseph and Mary encounter this guy, Simeon. And I read to you the first one. Actually, yeah, it would have been about the shepherd candle, about the Gentiles. Remember that he begins by taking Jesus in his arms and praising God and says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And it says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And in some ways, that's like where we end the Christmas story. It's filled with joy and 
all this amazing, wonderful things about Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. And in some ways, it's almost like at the beginning when the when right after the shepherds hear all this amazing stuff and that key line, especially when he says, for today in the town of David, a Savior is born and he's the Messiah and the Lord. And yet then the very next sentence says, and this will be a sign to you. Well, you would think, and Herod will be there and all of the kingly court and relatives and you'll find this great feast and no he says this will be a sign you'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger and you're thinking whoa wait a minute line of david savior messiah lord and yet we're talking now about you'll find him wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger and i wonder if in that moment mary's wondering hmm this seems a little odd But now they go and take Jesus. Simeon says this amazing thing about Jesus. And again, it says in verse 33, the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So maybe Mary just kind of puts that thought in the back of her mind, like, if Jesus is all that everybody's saying he is, why is he being born in a manger? Why isn't there some, you know, huge banquet, huge feast? I mean, a national celebration or something. So, who knows if she was pondering that. But then Simeon says these words. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined. And you're like, yeah? He's destined for what? To cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Wow. I can't even imagine. Like She was pondering all these other amazing things. Even now, he begins by saying, I've seen your salvation, you fulfilled your promise, and he's going to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles, glory to your people Israel. And he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that would be spoken against and that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Well, you know, here's the part of the story that gets kind of left out because somewhere right after that, in Matthew 2.13, it says, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod, Herod is going to search, not to bow down and worship, but to find this child and to kill him. Whoa. Right off the bat, talk about destined for the falling and rising, a sign that will be spoken against, and talk about hearts being revealed. Herod's heart totally contrary to God, not excited about the child's birth, but actually wants to kill him. Well, again, I'm wondering what Mary's got in the back of her mind. And then, because then after that, right, you hear the story of him when he's 13 and he's wowing everybody with his knowledge of the scripture. And then there's this long silence between 13 and 30. And you wonder what's still in the back of the heart and mind of Mary, and does she still remember what Simeon said, and remembering that, whoa, this thing didn't start off quite like I thought. In fact, Herod didn't come down to worship. Herod searched for him to want to kill him. 
And then that he says, the, the sword's going to pierce my own soul? Well, suddenly Jesus then gets launched into ministry. And then in Matthew 16, we have this story that we're all familiar with, but it's kind of like the Lord put on my heart that now's the second time where there's this revelation about who Jesus is. And it's about Peter. Remember, Jesus says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, Peter wasn't there at the birth narrative. Peter didn't hear the things that he wasn't one that angels came to. Peter doesn't know any of this stuff. But suddenly he says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus acknowledges that this was special revelation. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. From that time on, now, yeah, again, here's that moment, right? Suddenly it's like, okay, you're Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And everybody might, even Peter's thinking, all right, we're going to have a big coronation. We're going to have a big party. Your kingdom's going to come. Rome's going to get wiped out. And everything's going to move in a certain direction. And instead, it's amazing. The very next statement in Matthew's gospel is, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer, and suffer, not get coronated king, but to go suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. What? And that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Well, talk about Mary thinking, whoa, wait a minute. They're trying to kill him? And he's going to cause the falling and the rising, and he's going to be spoken against, and he's going to reveal the hearts. And well, Peter just has this similar kind of experience. Wait, you're Messiah, you're the Son of God. And then the very next words out of Jesus, and yeah, okay, you know what that means? I'm going to suffer many things, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be raised to life. Well, now you can kind of imagine Peter's response why he responded the way he did. I just love it. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Oh my gosh, Pete, you've got some serious chutzpah. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, this is the craziest thing is that everybody's mind went human as soon as they get the revelation. But through Simeon, you find out that God's got another plan and that Jesus is supposed to come to save the people from their sins, but they have no idea how that's going to happen, that he's going to save Israel, but not the way they expected it humanly, that God has another plan. And then it wasn't until just hanging out in this passage that you realize it's at this moment that because I've been involved in discipleship and all this stuff, I'm so used to reading this discipleship verse not connected to this passage. But it's right after he says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. 
What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son, and here's the prophecy of His second coming, for the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels, and then, and then He will reward each person according to what they have done. And then He's going to function as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. But right now, he says, you've got your mind on human things. The things of God is that I'm here to suffer, to die, to be raised for you. And he says, if you want to be on the same page with me until I come back that second time, you know what's going on right now? Right now, while we wait, is that you get on board with me, get on board with my mission, partner with me, and you become like me now. Now, right now, while you wait, we deny ourselves even as he denied himself. We take up our cross even as he took up his cross. He followed God's plan. We follow him and his plan. And see, folks, I think here's the reason almost in the sense of my heart where the Lord's like, we need a sixth candle and especially, again, I, I, I just have to address us, those who are listening that are Americans, is that somehow we have this idea like we want most of the future now. We want to kind of see as we wait, we want to taste a lot of that goodness, a lot of that blessing now. But Jesus just said, no, while you wait, you're supposed to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. You see, the point is, is that while we're here on earth, we're supposed to live like Jesus did while he was on earth. We're supposed to be about that same mission. We're supposed to be living the life that the king lived on the planet when he was on the planet. And that was here to spend his life for the sake of others, not to be served, but to serve this is why Paul finally says, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Follow God's example, therefore. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. What kind of love? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. In Romans 12, 1, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.15, Paul says, And Jesus died for all that those who live, you and I, should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. And then in Romans 15, he says, Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up and not please ourselves, for even Jesus did not live to please himself. John, in 1 John 3, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. In 1 John 2, 6 and 4, 18, he says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. For in this world, we are like Jesus. You see, I think we need a sixth candle. We need a candle that reminds us that while we wait, we are on mission. While we wait, we are not 
enjoying the benefits of Jesus being the Lamb who is also the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. While we wait, we are supposed to be partnering with Jesus in his mission, not looking to experience the blessings, the full blessings of his reign and rule right now. You see, Paul said it this way. In Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So he says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I mean, all the way back to Simeon, there are going to be those who will speak against you. The rising and the following, that a, that a sword would pierce Mary's heart. Well, of course, a sword pierced her heart when she saw Jesus crucified. Not exalted as the reigning, ruling king, but he comes to Jerusalem and dies. I can't imagine what that was like for her that day. But Paul finishes that after saying many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Again, even coming out of this election cycle, we are called foreigners and strangers on this planet. Paul says that our citizenship, we are not American citizens first. We are citizens of heaven first. We belong to that kingdom. And our primary purpose while we wait is to become like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to live like Jesus, to deny ourselves even as he denied himself, to take up our cross even as he took up his own cross, that we would lay down our life as a fragrant offering and sacrifice just as he did for us, that we are busy about giving up our lives in the present because we know there's an amazing future ahead of us. You see, that was the last part of the birth narrative, was that Jesus, yes, he would be a light, he would be all that, but then there was going to be this persecution that they tried to kill him, that even the leaders and the rulers, he said that he would suffer many things and that he would be killed. Folks, the bottom line is that it's not happening right now. It's going to happen in the future. And the sixth and final candle, I think, that should be a part of the Advent season is while we wait for that glorious second coming, may God help us to be like Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our Lord, and live in this present world even as he did, spending ourselves for the sake of others, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of everyone's eternity. And so as we finish out this year, may God help us to once again, in the midst of longing and waiting, renew our commitment to become like him, to live like him and not see this present life 
as being heaven on earth. It's not supposed to be. Heaven will come when Jesus returns. So Lord, I pray that you'd bless us, that you'd help us, that you'd encourage us. As we finish out this year, oh Jesus, help us to want to become more like you, to live on earth even as you did until you come. Put the passion for mission in our hearts, in our souls. Put that passion in us, Lord, to be willing every day to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you. We love you, Jesus. We long for your return. But we are so committed to you, to partner with you, and to be like you on this planet until you come. We love you, Lord. We bless you. And bless you all. 